0: So I have recently been spending some time in Jesus' parables, and uh, I found them to be just so encouraging. I just love reading those stories that Jesus told, and we all sort of love a good story, don't we? I, I read a quote that said, stories um, are the currency of human contact, which I thought was quite cool. And I love the stories that Jesus told, the way he uh, just is able to communicate these amazing mysteries of the kingdom just through the simple telling of a story. And I felt specifically that God has been speaking to me from the parables of the mustard seed and the yeast that we find in Matthew chapter 13 in order to encourage us as a church that even though we may feel that we have small beginnings, God can bring big results. And we're going to look at how. So we're going to get straight into it. So if you've got your Bibles, Turn to Matthew chapter 13, and uh, this is a chapter that is jam-packed full of parables. And just imagine the scene, so at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus is actually uh, telling these stories in a boat, so so many people have come to hear him, that the crowd is, is there on the seashore, and he decides to get in a boat so that he can be heard. So that's the context as we read this parable. So we're going to read from uh, verse 31. So Matthew 13, verse 31. He, that's Jesus, told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 30 kilograms of flour until it worked all through the dough. Mustard seed and yeast, two things that start tiny but have within them the unique power to grow and influence. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, I just thank you so much for these pictures of the kingdom. And God, I pray that as we look at them now, you would speak to each one of us. God, I pray that you would continue to release your encouragement here in this place. That we would know your presence. And God, I pray that you would raise our expectation as we look at these pictures together. In Jesus' name, amen. Great, so as I was preparing to speak today, um, I really felt like God wants to remind us of some of the prophetic promises about growth that he has given to us as a church as we look in the context of these parables. Because the reality is that the Father has spoken some incredible promises over us as a church, hasn't he, about growth. And even even last week we heard, didn't we, that there's this shift happening it's like God's on the move. He's not asking us, what are you waiting for? He's saying, are you ready? Yeah. It's like we're on the brink of this wave that we heard about. And we have promises of physical growth in terms of numbers and size, but also in terms of influence for the kingdom of God. And these promises are shaping us, aren't they? And, and helping us and directing us, leading us as we think about the direction that we're headed as a church. So I want to actually just start by reminding us of a few. The first thing is we've got a promise that we are to be an apostolic base and a hub for other churches that will cross the boundary lines of Solihull, that our influence would be far greater than the size of our church would necessarily justify. That's one of the promises that we carry as a church and as part of that, we've been given this picture of Jubilee as a distribution centre, a place of sending and receiving his Holy Spirit. It's not a, a storage place. We're not to be static. And we actually have already started to see a little bit of this, haven't we, as we've sent Sarah and as we prepare to send Mark and Fram, It's like God's taking what he's doing here amongst us and bringing it out even to other nations. Another promise that we're living with as a church is that we will be known as a place of hope and liberty. That the poor and needy will come and find freedom. And that we'll have a fathering voice to the broken and the hurting. And we also have a promise that we're going to experience significant addition of people quicker than we think. At our weekends away in November, Simon Holly felt that we were going to enter a period of significant growth and we should get ready for this. I want to just read an extract from one of the prophetic words about growth and influence that we've been given. It says, what I'm seeing is this huge girder being lifted into place. And as this girder is lifted, it means that the walls can be pulled down and extended outwards. And the whole building is moved outwards and made huge. All of a sudden, you are going to go from being a two-up, two-down family-type setting to being a huge resource centre with a whole body of other people joined into you. As you are joined with these other people, you're going to have an effect on the neighbourhood. And I'm seeing this huge kitchen that feeds the poor, not just a food bank, something bigger that establishes itself in the community. Now, these promises can feel quite weighty. And if we're honest, they can be a little bit overwhelming. They mean facing a bit of change, maybe a bit of mess. And perhaps we worry about getting a bit lost in it all. But I really feel like this morning God wants to encourage us That he wants to build each one of us into what he's doing. That we all have a fundamental part to play in what is happening in our community. Now, we may look around and wonder, what's going on, God? Come on. Things don't seem to be happening as quickly as we perhaps would like. But actually, I want to encourage us this morning that the reality is the promises over us as a church family don't change because God who gives them to us never changes. And this is true of promises he's spoken over us as a church as well as individually. So, how does the story of a mustard seed and a little bit of yeast encourage us as we remember the prophetic promises of growth that we're living with as a church. Three things. Firstly, starting small is a kingdom principle. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. Two tiny images Now, a mustard seed was the smallest of all agricultural seeds. And Mark's version of this parable calls it the smallest of all seeds on earth. And yeast, tiny single-celled microorganisms that gets mixed into flour. I imagine that these images would have been quite shocking, really, for Jesus' original hearers. The kingdom of heaven being likened to the smallest known seed one to two millimetres in diameter, and a baking ingredient that you mix into flour. They were not prepared for such an insignificant start to the kingdom of God. They were expecting rule and wealth and the overturn of the Roman Empire. But isn't that always the way when Jesus speaks about God's kingdom? He turns things upside down. He says the entry point to the kingdom of God is poverty, not strength. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he says the kingdom belongs to little children. And unless we receive the kingdom like a little child, then we'll never enter it. So starting small is a kingdom principle. And we're actually in good company. Look at the people that God uses through the Bible to bring about his purposes. People like Gideon and David. When we meet Gideon in Judges chapter 6, he is threshing wheat in a wine press because he wants to keep it from the Midianites who are attacking and oppressing the Israelites. And the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says, "'Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand.' And Gideon replies in what I imagine to be quite a quivering voice, "'Pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel?' My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Likewise, when God sends Samuel to Jesse of Bethlehem because he's chosen one of his sons to be king, Samuel assumes it will be the oldest brother, Eliab. But the Lord says to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so Jesse calls his other sons and has them all sort of pass before Samuel. But each time Samuel says, no, the Lord has not chosen that one. No, not that one either. No, not that one. And he gets to the point where he says to Jesse, have you got any other sons? And Jesse replies, well, they're still the youngest. He's out tending the sheep. And of course, we know that was little David, who went on to be the greatest of the kings of Israel, the most famous ancestor of Jesus, and one who's described as a man after God's own heart. From small beginnings grow great things. The weakest in a clan, the youngest in a family, a mustard seed, a tiny bit of yeast mixed into flour. The Father can take what seems small and insignificant and multiply it. Listen to part of this prophetic word to us as a church. God says, that which is obscure, that which seems like it is insignificant, I have a habit of choosing. I have a habit of exalting. I have a habit of bringing out into the open. And you have felt like an insignificant, obscure little church stuck in the lovely town of Solihull. Well, God says, watch and see what I will do. For men and women will know about the town of Solihull because of what I will do in this place. It starts small, like a mustard seed ready to be planted and some yeast ready to be worked through dough. The second encouragement that we can take from these parables is that the kingdom is for taking out. The prophetic promise over us of being a place of influence, of being established in the community, encourages us to get out of these four walls. The man and the woman in these parables didn't keep a hold of the seed and the yeast. It says, a man took and planted, a woman took and mixed. Think about the picture of the seed for a moment. You probably all remember doing the primary school science experiment where each group is given a seed and then they have to give different conditions to see what will make the seed grow best. So one seed might be given water and light but no soil. And one seed is given water but then shut in the cupboard so it can't have any light. And then one seed is given soil but it's not given any water. And then you've got the little test seed that you just put in a little pot somewhere, leave it somewhere near the teacher's desk. And that's the test pot, because it's not had anything done to it. It's not been planted. And so even though it's got all this life within its DNA, it just sits in the pot. And no one notices the potential growth and change that it carries. The kingdom seed has life within itself. It must be taken and planted. And we're told in the story that it's to be planted in a field, but not just any old field. In his field. It was the man's field. So I want to ask us a question today. What is your field? Take a moment just to think about that afresh. Your field. Your place of influence. It's a place that's unique and has been given to you by the Father. Where has good God put you so that you can multiply yourself as you plant the kingdom and all that God is doing in you? Now, planting doesn't mean changing what we do, but the way we do it. So it's making the most of those timely opportunities, moments at work or as we travel, over meal times when we're out with friends and it starts small. So I thought of some examples of how we can plant the kingdom seed. So it could be, for example, just noticing things, being genuinely interested in someone, and remembering what they say, so that when we see them again we can ask them about it. It could mean releasing honour and speaking words of life into places where the culture is filled with criticism, gossip, Or backbiting. It could mean just doing the little things well. So that we become known as people who do what we say we'll do. And it could mean investing in others. Someone has said your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Remember the kingdom seed has life within itself. When when God's kingdom comes, we experience that which is true in heaven down on earth, right here. So we can expect God's presence to come as we go out into the world. We can expect to experience justice because the kingdom of God is good news to the poor. We can expect healing. Isaiah 61 tells us we're anointed by God to bind up the brokenhearted. We can expect God to bring salvation and deliverance as people come into the relationship with God that they were created for and for comfort, peace and joy to break out as his kingdom comes. We don't hold on to the seed just for ourselves. And it's the same with the picture of the yeast. Yeast doesn't bring about change and influence unless it's mixed and worked into dough. Now, I did a bit of research again, as you know I like to. So yeast, I learned, is a living, single-celled organism that causes dough to rise. And it has to be activated or woken up by kneading it into the other ingredients in dough and then being left in a warm place, such as the infamous proving drawer that those of us that watch the Great British Bake Off will be very familiar with. Now, this sets off a chemical reaction which produces carbon dioxide, causing the dough to rise. And it's interesting because yeast often has negative connotations in the Bible. It kind of receives a bit of a bad press among the Jews. For example, in Exodus 12, God instructed Moses to tell the Israelites to remove all yeast from the house before Passover. So this is another reason why it's surprising, really, that Jesus uses this image as a picture of the kingdom. Yeast working through dough was usually an image of evil spreading. For example, Jesus' warning in Mark 8, he says, Be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And again in Luke 12, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But here, Jesus uses the image for something good, something that will overcome evil. There is a force operating in this world that is more powerful and more unstoppable than any human system or scheme of evil. It's the kingdom of God. As we go out into our communities, we can be encouraged that maybe from the outside, it might seem that the kingdom is a bit hidden or a bit obscure. But just as yeast causes dough to rise and transform the culture of the whole mixture, so the kingdom has an undeniable effect on society. It has the power to influence and transform the culture of this world. And God is not calling us to stay separate, but to be like yeast mixed into the places he's put us. Ready to transform and reform, to bring change to the culture around us. We are not saved in order to escape the world but rather to be put into it. Listen to this from Alan Scott. He says, The next great move of God is already happening beyond the church. It's not going to be a movement in the church. It's going to be a movement of the church into society. Rewriting the story of education in our city, of health in our city, of employment and business in our city. The next move of God will involve everyone taking their everyday environments, their ordinary moments, and placing them before God as an offering. No more sacred secular. The kingdom is big enough for the whole city. So the kingdom is for taking out yeast, starting small but working through the whole of the dough, causing it to rise. What a great picture. And a mustard seed, again, starting small but carrying life within it and the power to grow and multiply into something huge as it's planted. The third encouragement that we can take from the parables of the mustard seed and the yeast is that it's God who makes things grow. Verse 32 says, when it grows, that's the seed, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. Growing is God's responsibility. When Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, he said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. We plant the seed, and sometimes we don't know where it goes, or whether it's taken root, let alone whether it's growing, our job is to plant. And I feel like God really wants to underline that to some of us this morning. God is responsible for the growth. It's him who makes things grow. If we feel like we've been laboring, sowing seed into our families, into our children, our work colleagues, our neighbors, God is using those steps of courage and obedience, even if we're not seeing the tree yet. And for us as a church family, as we remember the prophetic promises over us of rapid growth, we're too to remember that it's the Father's responsibility, not ours. We can trust his promise over us. His promises never change because he never changes. And there's a reason that the mustard seed grows into a tree. Look at the end of verse 32. So that the birds come and perch in its branches. Just imagine this tree for a moment. The big branches providing security and shade for the birds. Now, Jesus's original hearers, as he told this parable, would have been reminded of similar pictures in the Old Testament books of Ezekiel and Daniel. So let me just read a couple of examples. Ezekiel 17 says, on the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. So this is referring to a shoot from the top of a cedar. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. And then again in Daniel 4, we have this uh, vision, this dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, these are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter and birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. And commentators agree that when we see this image of birds coming to roost in branches in the Bible, it's a picture of the Gentiles, those outside the people of God. And by reminding his original hearers of these references to trees and birds coming to roost elsewhere in scripture, Jesus is hinting that not only will the kingdom grow to remarkable size, but it will spread beyond the narrow confines of what his Jewish hearers were expecting. Not just a kingdom for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. For all people, everywhere, every nation, Every tongue. I wonder what birds we imagine coming to roost in the tree. Do we need to broaden our expectation, our imagination, like Jesus' original hearers would have needed to? The kingdom is not just for people who look and sound like us. It reminds me of another prophetic promise over us that we will be a multicultural church, that disillusioned people from other religious backgrounds will make themselves known to us? Are we letting this promise shape our imaginations as we imagine what Jubilee is going to look like as we grow? And so, as I finish, I want us to be encouraged as a church family. That although we may feel like we have small beginnings as a church and maybe individually, God can bring about big results. It's okay to start small. The kingdom of heaven is like a tiny seed or a sprinkle of yeast. And it's for taking out, it's for planting and mixing into the places and communities that God has given us. And it's God who makes things grow. The seed grows into a huge tree where people from all nations and cultures can come and find shelter, refuge and life. The prophetic promises of growth and influence that God has spoken over us as a church family have not changed. He is still our father. He is still faithful. And he still has an awesome plan for the people of Solihull and beyond. (coughs) And so I feel like this morning there might be a couple of ways that we can respond to this. Firstly, I felt that God wants to raise our expectation again. That question, are you ready? The time of waiting is over. God says, watch and see what I will do. To be expectant that lives are going to get changed as we get mixed into our communities. And then also I felt for some of us that the Father just wants to bring his encouragement today. That actually some of these promises of growth and change might feel a little bit overwhelming. And then maybe there's that fear of getting lost in it all, like I mentioned earlier. But I feel like the Father wants to encourage us this morning. He's not going to leave anybody out. We all have a unique part to play. So I'd love to pray for us. I'd love to invite you to stand if you're able to. And we're going to ask God to bring his encouragement afresh. Father, thank you so much for these pictures of the kingdom. We love the image of the mustard seed, so small. And the yeast, just a tiny little fungus mixed into flour. And yet, what an impact those things have when they're taken and planted and mixed. And God, I pray for all of us this morning that you would raise our expectation That as we bring to you the little that we have and maybe the little that we feel we can offer, I thank you that you take it just like the little boy with the loaves and fishes and you multiply it. Thank you that it's nothing that we do. Thank you that we just get to be your children and you do the rest. And so, God, I pray that as we go and plant the kingdom seed that has this very life within itself, doing those little things and being expectant of your kingdom to break out, God, we would see lives transformed around us. I pray that you would bring an acceleration of that, even in the next few days and weeks. God, that there would be more and more stories that we just wouldn't be able to wait to come and share with each other what you're doing in the fields that you have put us in. And God, I pray for all of us that you would bring encouragement, encouragement where we feel like we've been sowing seed and we haven't seen any results in the way that we might expect or, or wish for. God, I thank you that you are the almighty God, that you are sovereign, you're king on your throne. And I thank you that you are responsible for the growth in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. And God, I pray that you would bring encouragement afresh now. Holy Spirit, would you breathe on us again? Thank you that you're here. And for those of us that might feel, what's our place? What does it look like for me? I pray that you would bring such encouragement to the depths of us that you just want us to be us. There's nothing we have to bring. There's nothing we have to do. You have grafted us in. You want us to be here, part of this family, for such a time as this. Lord, thank you that we all get to take part. Thank you that you don't leave anybody out. Thank you for your love. We love you, Father. Amen.